from Montana for Montana. It's Voices of Montana. Hi, I'm Tom Schultz, host of the program. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and please contact me here for show suggestions or comments at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. Well, the calendar says so, even if the weather hasn't quite turned yet. It's time for some winter recreation in Montana, isn't it? First, look at we're just gonna we're gonna know the snow is gonna be there, so we're gonna head out to the back country first off. Snow safety, first things first. Dave Zinn's gonna join us here, Gallatin National um, Forest Avalanche Center. Lots of good training about backcountry safety. That's up first. Then we'll find out how to get bucked off our sleds. We head over to Sealy Lake and talk with Curtis Freedy of Kurtz Polaris, and then comes Lincoln County. And the Turner Mountain Ski Area, Bruce Wang will join us here. This is a very unique community-owned ski mountain north of Libby in the Yak. Yes, winner wreck anybody here on Voices of Montana. It's time for the fastest hour in radio from Montana for Montana. Voices of Montana with Tom Schultz. Call in today at 866-627-5483 or text a comment or question to 781-627-5483. Now, here's Mr. Snowman, your host, Tom Schultz. <laughs> no, no, we got oh. grass still growing uh, in our yard. I, I think I got to get I gotta get my mower out of the shed because uh, the, the lawn needs mowing again. That's <laughs> a, but I could get used to this. I really could. Hey, welcome. It's from Montana for Montana, two decades strong. We'll keep hacking away at it here, too. Tom Schultz alongside. Doing okay? I hope so. Uh, let's just back side of this. It'll be kind of fun to talk about. What's going on in, in, in um, Turner Mountain, up in Lincoln County, north of Libby, south of the Yak, right in that area. It's a unique community-owned ski mountain. So that'll be kind of fun. Bruce Wang will join us uh, a bit later on, too. Also have Curtis Freedy. Remember Curtis, um, uh, the Valor Ride? This is, this, he's an adventure guy, that's for sure. But he knows uh, a little bit about um, how to get out and have some fun with sleds and, and in the outdoors in the wintertime, uh, owner of Kurtz Polaris. I'm going to head over and talk with Dave Zinn, first off, with the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center. Uh, Dave, thank you for being here. Appreciate that. Well, you know, I'm looking around, and I don't see a lot of snow. And But then I'm, I'm curious, as you go up there, and I'm looking at your website, and you guys have done some stuff, what, what kind of... Um, uh, what kind of setting does this sort of lack of snow early on um, make for the winter when it comes to avalanche danger? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question, Tom. Uh, one of the things that we know every time that we have a little bit of snow in the mountains, but there's there's just not that much. It's thin up there. Uh, if you're skiing or snowmobiling, you're, you're probably pretty close to the bottom. When that's the case, uh, the snowpack is getting weaker by the day. And so right now, this thin snowpack, what it's setting up, setting us up for is persistent weak layers that stick with us for the entire winter. Yeah, um, that, that's what I so was thinking. Could be that, an that, issue. Yeah. Um, does anything improve that? or what? Uh, and have you seen seasons like that? And, and uh, does anything change that sort of uh, setting? Yeah, so the, the snowpack can strengthen in a number of ways. The, probably the, the best thing for us, I mean, for, for a number of people, for avalanches, people that are wanting to get out and recreate, uh, for the farmers, for the rivers in the, the spring, is that we get a lot of snow. And what that does is if we add a lot of snow onto the mountains right now, we're going to have avalanches, there's no doubt. Yeah. But burying those weak layers under a lot of snow, putting them under a weight, uh, 
over time, that will improve them. Gotcha, gotcha. What's like the one thing that people need to know or the, or the, the couple of things? I know you guys do a lot of training. You yourself uh, are an educator too. You do a lot of whitewater uh, kayaking training, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you guys know Dave's in, uh, go to mtavalanche.com and, and look at his bio there. He's taught high school in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Chile, Argentina, uh, Uganda, China. You've been around a little bit. Um, and so I yeah, 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 I bet. I've been around a little bit. It was all for the same high school, a lot of the same the same folks, uh, but we just we just traveled a lot. Um, in terms of avalanches, though, uh, a couple things to really know, and you you already mentioned it, is the first thing that we want people to understand is there's avalanche forecasts that are available for a lot of the the mountainous regions in the the west western United States, uh, in southwest Montana here, around Bozeman, Big Sky, West Yellowstone Island Park, and Cook City. You can go to that website that you mentioned, mtavalanche.com. But if you're in other areas of the United States, you can go to avalanche.org and get the avalanche forecast for anywhere in the country. Or if you're traveling north to see our friends in Canada, uh, you can get it at avalanche.ca. So getting the forecast is really critical. And then we want people to have the gear. We want everybody who's recreating in the mountains in the snow-covered mountains to have an avalanche beacon shovel probe. We want you to get the training. Uh, you mentioned that, that we have lots of training. The Avalanche Center has a partner organization that does free and low-cost avalanche education that's also available on the website. And we want folks to stay heads up and stay safe when they're out in the in the backcountry. Do people take advantage of that, Dave? I know we have um, people kind of coming in and, and maybe going out of the winter wreck um, season, so to speak, uh, new people coming in. Do they take advantage of that, Dave? Yeah, we have a really successful program, and the it's a nonprofit. It's the Friends of the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center, and we have a full-time education coordinator, Shannon Regan, and she runs a team of 40 people. They're teaching well over 100 classes a year, uh, and last year we taught over 5,000 people in this in Montana and the surrounding areas. So it's a huge program. Plus on that education page on the website, we list all the commercially available uh, classes for certification, the avalanche level one and two and, and beyond as well. So we want, we don't really care if people get educated with us or somebody else. We just want people to have the information and uh, have the basics when they get out into the field. What are some of those basics? Um, you know, and I, again, you can't, you can't make up for good training in that regard, but let's just talk about them so people understand some of the dangers that they're facing. What sort of uh, one or two, three basic things that you keep in mind? You already noted one, have the gear, have the training in the backcountry. What else is out there? Yeah, so having the gear is really important. Um, the training, obviously, that'll teach you how to use it, and the, the gear really only works if you know how to use it, and you have a partner who also knows how to use it, because partner rescue, if something goes wrong, that's the critical piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I think the, the fundamental thing that we want people to understand is what what is avalanche train, and if you are, in fact, on a slope that could avalanche. So that is really slope angle dependent. So we can tell people with a pretty high level of certainty that if you're staying off of and out from under slopes that are steeper than about 30 degrees, uh, you're safe from avalanches, even on some pretty dangerous days, even on days that we're saying that the danger is considerable or high. So, 
So recognition of avalanche terrain, that is the fundamental skill. Uh, the way to do it is measuring slope angles. Uh, there's lots of digital maps these days that have slope angles that are overlaid on top of the map as well. What's the, what's the mistake that people often make? Uh, I think the mistake that people make, there's, there's a couple. Uh, one is the, the failure to recognize that they're in avalanche terrain. It's, it's sort of sad. Well, we have fatalities in our area, and there's, periodically there will be folks that you're talking to the partners and the friends afterwards, and they're, they're saying, boy, like we, we knew it was dangerous out there. We were trying to play it safe. We were snowmobiling in the meadows. We were uh, skinning up. We were traveling through slopes that we didn't realize could avalanche. But sometimes when people are underneath steep terrain, they can trigger an avalanche from below, and that's, that's what gets them. Um, so that recognition of avalanche terrain is, is really a critical one. Dave's in again with us here. It's Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center and part of the, the nationalavalanche.org um, organization. It's mtavalanche.com for more information. A lot of great stuff on there. You know, Dave, as, as I'm looking at, and I went to some of the, the maps to check our moisture totals, and um, it, it's strange when you look at the, the basins, uh, you know, they're all going to be one way, so to speak. But if you go, like, individually, um, the amount of precipitation, uh, you know, from uh, one mile away to, you know, five miles away can vary tremendously. Um, do you see that? And, and uh, how do you account for that when looking at avalanches and trying to warn the public? Yeah, the, the, the bottom line for us is that if there's enough snow for people to recreate, whether that be skiing, snowboarding, snowmobiling, snowshoeing, uh, if there's enough snow to keep them off the ground and have fun on those activities, then there's enough snow to avalanche. So we know that if, if people are skiing, if people are snowmobiling, if people are snowshoeing, hey, there, there's enough snow out there. And the slopes that we're worried about can be quite small. So rather than thinking about it in the context of a river drainage where the the snowfall might be whatever percent of average right now. We're looking at it at a slope scale, and even even a, a gully or a steep-walled hill can can avalanche. Gotcha. How how um, accurate are, are, have have our forecasts become over the years? The the forecasts are really effective, and you know we we go back and we look at these things afterwards, and. We're, we're out in the field a lot. So mm-hmm. a couple of my team teammates are out in the field today. One's out snowmobiling near Big Sky, another's skiing in the Bridger Range. And each day when we go out into the field, what we do is we send back information and we try to verify whether the forecast was right or if it needs a little bit of adjustment. So we're always able to make those small adjustments and uh, – and so that field data is really invaluable, along with the observations that members of the public send in into in us here at the Forest Service. It's really, really helpful. We can get sort of even basic observations, like I was riding through the mountains and I saw an avalanche. I was riding through and I didn't see an avalanche. It snowed a lot. It was blowing and snow is drifting on onto slopes like any of those really basic informa- pieces of information could be really valuable um, 
So, yeah, the, the field data is really important, and each time that we go out, we, we post a video on YouTube and uh, Instagram and Facebook, and those people can watch those and see what we found yeah. in addition to reading the forecast. Well, the videos are really cool, and I, I again, uh, encourage folks, if they're going out in the backcountry, get educated about it, mtavalanche.com. I'm looking at them on, on your front page here as well, December 18th, they're noted. Um, one thing that, uh, this was from like December 17th, uh, road and skied near cook city today found poor snow structure on multiple aspects. We also had five to six collapses and loud whumps. Um, yeah. yeah. What, uh, so if we hear a whump, uh, and that's actually a pretty accurate description of, I think how that sounds. Um, what does that tell us? Yeah. So those whoops are what that, what that is, is. That's the sound of a weak layer within the snowpack collapsing. And the, what, it, what it is is when we compress that, collapse that weak layer, the air squish, squishes out and makes that whoop sound. And what that means, it's great information for us as backcountry travelers because we know that if you're triggering collapses, those whoops, the snowpack is unstable and if you were on a slope that's steep enough to avalanche, one of those slopes that's steeper than 30 degrees, you could trigger a slide, and it could be a, a really big problem. What happens in, in a slide? What, um, how do you keep your wits about that? Where? Because uh, I've read kind of different things about it. You want to lay flat out. Uh, I know you kind of want to ride as, as much of it uh, as, as close to the top as you can. What, I don't suppose there's any real good technique. Prayer probably helps when you're in that <laughs> circumstance. But what, what do you educate folks on, about? Yeah, well, the, the first thing that we educate folks on is avoidance and yeah. prevention, yeah. right? Yeah. Just like you said, like you don't, you don't want to get caught in an avalanche. If, if you're getting caught in an avalanche, mistakes have been made, right? Um, but if you do, uh, what we teach people to do is fight. So if you're on a snowmobile, that means trying to ride up and off the slab or down and off the slab or to the side. Same with if you're, if you're on skis. You're trying to get off of that section of moving snow and onto a, an area that's, that's not. Uh, if you, once you get caught up in the slide, you're going to be tumbled around. I mean, it's like you're going to be in a washing machine. Uh, snow's going to be flying. Snow's going to be in your face and your mouth. And what we want people to do is don't, don't be passive. Fight. Try to struggle. Swim to keep yourself up toward the, the surface. And, uh, you know, then if you get buried... What you're doing is relying on your, your partners and your partner's training because you're not going to be able to dig yourself out. You're relying on their rescue skills, their beacon search, and, and their shovels to get you out of the snow. Yeah, it's, uh, we like to have a lot of fun out in the backcountry, too, but those dangers are, are inherent with that. Uh, but as you say, uh, we can be safe about it, and, and inevitably they, they do claim lives, um, which, is, which is the sad part of things as well. But. Um, I really appreciate the education you guys do. And, and, and then those forecasts, too. Are they, you send them out daily as well. I think a lot of radio stations use them. You do a little audio forecasts, too. So super stuff, Dave. I appreciate that. We'll be checking back in with you, hopefully uh, not with bad news or to, to share, but uh, you know, with, with good news to talk about down the road. I hope so. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. And I hear your. Um, I hear uh, Doug is um, retiring at the end of the year. Is that, uh, here, here I am on live radio. Is that, is that well known? Uh, yep. Yeah, so Doug is Doug Chabot is re announced his retirement. He has been with the Forest Service and the Avalanche Center 
since 1995, and he uh, has been the director of the Avalanche Center since the year 2000. So he's put in his time, and it's time to send him off to some sunny beaches. Yeah, well, give him a big uh, thank you for us, okay? Uh, appreciate that. And we'll probably chat with him before uh, he, he gets to run away to those beaches. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. Thanks for all you do. Absolutely. Take care, Tom. All right. Well, a short break, and then we'll come on back. Curtis Freedy, we'll have to give him a call there. He's busy, probably underneath uh, one of his sleds there, um, or maybe on top of them. <clears throat> Kurt's Polaris and Seeley Lake. Uh, so, Kurt, Kurt Freedy will join us as we talk about winter wreck. And a bit later on, we're heading over to Lincoln County, and we'll go, we'll ski Turner Mountain. Back with more here in just a minute. You will get a sentimental feeling. Over the past 30 years, Montana has consistently ranked in the nation's top five states for suicides. This is not a statistic to be proud of. Many factors contribute to this, like social isolation, increased access to firearms, and alcohol use as a coping mechanism. The Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services is making it easier for anyone to get help through the new crisis call or text line 988. Let's give Montana a better statistic to be known by. If you or someone you know needs help, dial 988. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for joining us here. It's from Montana for Montana, Voices of Montana. Sometimes it's hard to tell Christmas songs from uh, Michael Jackson pop songs, too, but uh, we're trying to spread some holiday cheer here. Time for some winter recreation. Curtis Freedy joins us here of Kurt's Polaris and Steely Lake. Chat Chatted with Kurt uh, a while back. I had this great uh, idea for Valoride. Uh, that continues on. We talked about that that off-road trip as well. Veterans Adventure of a Lifetime. Still operating that. But KurtzPolaris.com uh, for information on mostly it's it's sleds. Curtis, good morning. I hope you're doing well. Do you ride a sled like you, uh, you ride a four-wheeler? Well, I try to ride uh, everything I can get a hold of that... Uh that puts wind in my face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are, um, what are some good sleds? I mean, say there's somebody who's interested, uh, and, and I don't know if people, their first winter sports introduction is through snowmobiling. It, it could be, I guess, but what does a novice sort of need to know if they're looking at recreating uh, on machines like that? Well, the first thing they need to know is, is that we, we want to make sure they have a good experience with it and we don't want to sour them. So there's, there's two or three different, uh, levels of snowmobiles, no matter which one you're looking to buy or, or, or get from a, from your, your local dealer or whoever you're going to uh, buy through and do. But if you're a novice, I would say you better you should start out in the 550 range with a fan cooled. And the reason being is because they don't overheat, the high faxes don't stick, uh, because you want to go out and ride and have a good time, and you don't want to have all these issues and problems that sour you on uh, not having a good time because the the high facts is stuck because of the low snow conditions or it overheated because there wasn't enough snow sprayed up under the track to cool the heat exchangers. Uh, so those are all factors, and they come in one-ups and two-up sleds so two people can ride with handlebar heaters and heated yeah. seats and electric start, reverse, or, and, and, and everything else. If you've already been that route and you want to go up from there, then, you know, there's a couple of different levels of uh, sleds, uh, the 650s and the 850s and and uh, the turbos and and you know there's just there's a lot of different sleds out there that uh, will fit a lot of people. Uh, but make sure that you're not buying too much. Make sure that you're riding uh, safe. Uh, you know your conditions and, and surroundings because uh, the last thing you want to do is 
buy a new sled and go out and hit something and wreck and get hurt and et cetera. It kind of ruins the fun. Right. Um, and we did talk a little bit about avalanche danger just in this last segment with Dave Zinn from the Avalanche Center. A lot to learn there. But um, is it different from uh, for snowmobiles? I know you got to get geared up. you got to get educated. But um, yeah, I think when you're out in the snow like that, you want deep snow. And, and you don't mind uh, 30 degrees uh, slope. No, I mean, uh, cold weather on snowmobiles is good uh, when you have the proper gear. A lot of times the people that are riding the trail sleds down the trail and et cetera, you know, they're getting away with the ski clothes and, and, you know, warm jackets and some, some different bibs and et cetera. Once you start to get into the mountain riding, you want to make sure you get the right equipment uh, for snowmobiling as far as your clothing. And you, you, you don't want any man-made products. You want all um, uh, 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 natural or not natural. You want a, the man-made product, excuse me, because it wicks the moisture away from you. You don't need a lot of layers. You don't need a lot of insulation. You just need to make sure you got the right equipment, anything that's waterproof and breathable, uh, and that wicks the moisture away from your body so that you don't get sweated up. If you do get sweated up, it, it, it wicks it away. It, it lets the moisture dissipate and go, and so you, you stay dry and you, and you stay warm. Uh, when you're trail riding, you necessarily don't work the body very much, so therefore you can get away with... Uh, some uh, natural, you know, cottons and stuff like that that are that are that are good and warm, but they don't wick the moisture away. But you're not sweating, so you're not having that issue. So what's a what's a good length of time to get out and, and ride? I, I suppose it depends on the current weather conditions. But uh, when um, when are people sort of at their at their best? Uh, I would say. Uh, time-wise uh, or, or conditions? Yeah, time-wise, conditions. Um, I mean, okay. yeah, whatever comes to mind. So, you know, a lot, it, it, conditions is, is when, you know, when the groomer starts grooming trails and you got smooth trails to leave the parking lot and take off and go, it's all good. Uh, I've been up on, uh, on the Lolo side already, and there's just not a bunch of snow anywhere. There's, there's some snow up here, but we don't really have enough to get off trail and go anywhere. It's just trail riding. Uh, we don't have a lot of trail riding here yet, uh, but it's coming. Uh, we get another six, eight inches of snow, and I'm sure the groomer will go out and start hitting a couple of trails and packing it down. Uh, for the length of the day, you know, a lot of people go out for, you know, the, I would say the average is probably four to four to five hours. Um, a lot of people think, well, it's an all-day deal and et cetera, but most people, uh, I'd say four to six hours is, is the, the average day. Um, which makes it fun. Uh, you can you can you can cover a lot of country and see a lot of country and have a lot of fun and and, uh, and uh, exert the heck out of your uh, body and uh, and have a good uh, adrenaline adrenaline rush and uh, have a good time. Yeah, those things are uh, an adrenaline rush. It's it's really fun for folks to get into them. Um, I'm I'm curious about how fast they'll go and and how you you handle a snowmobile and and how you I guess recognize. Um, you, you're not handling a snowmobile. <laughs> Usually when you're, you're laying on the ground <laughs> right. wondering how, how did, how did that happen? How'd that happen? I, yeah, just, I, know. I just, I just got bucked off. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, to find some friends or some people that, you know, or some people that do, uh, uh, some, some, uh, riding tips and, and guided trips and stuff like that to show you some of that is, is, is good. If you're looking, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of the, uh, 
lot of the younger generation is the ones that are coming into the sport that's new. And, and believe it or not, uh, a lot of a lot of the people that we're seeing coming in uh, that's that's new to it, but they they uh, they're not necessarily in that uh, you know eighteen to thirty year old range. They're they're in their their mid thirties or early forties, and they're backcountry skiers that 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 are buying snowmobiles to get to the backcountry so they can ski the alpine. And I can't tell you how many times a year we see people come in and buy snowmobiles from us for that purpose. And within three years, they've kind of quit skiing and they're just riding mountain sleds. Hmm. We got we got because less. Go ahead. Yeah. They go get ahead. To, they get they get to, they get the adrenaline rush. They get to go have fun. They get powder in the face. They get a workout. Uh, they have a great time, uh, you know. And we have a lot of people that that do jointly both of them. Uh, we just had a, a couple in here last week, and uh, you know they put on fifteen hundred miles a year uh, mount, riding mountain sleds. Plus, they ski about ten to twelve days a year. I mean that's that's a pretty good winter for most people. But uh, you know so. People like it both ways. It, it isn't just a, a motorized or non-motorized deal or access or not access. It's going out and enjoying the great outdoors in the winter, uh, which is, you know, just getting outside and breathing the fresh air and having the wind in your face and having powder spray all over the, the place. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a good day. That's well said. Curtis Freedy, again, owner of Kurt Spolaris in Sealy Lake. If you're looking for an adventure, go give him a call. We're back with more here. Go to Libby Next. Voices of Montana continues right after this. Did you know that Stockman offers more than banking services? We also offer all lines of insurance, including home, auto, life, crop, farm, ranch, and business. At Stockman Insurance, our experienced agents will take the time to work with you to design the right insurance package to meet your specific needs at competitive prices. Contact us today for a free quote. Stockman Insurance, Montana's brand of insurance. Equal opportunity employer and provider. Winter recreation in Montana, there's all kinds of opportunities, I think. And I think I've shared my story for the longest time. I didn't do a ton of winter recreation in Montana. And it it made the winter last long and long and long. Of course, I was really joyous when the spring came and kind of disappointed when the fall was around. But uh, once I started doing a little more winter recreating like that, Bam, there was just so much fun to be had. We're talking about some of that here today. Earlier on, uh, Dave Zinn from the Gallatin National Forest Avalanche Center. Backcountry safety, very, very important because it's just, you just can't take chances back there because they call it backcountry for a reason. It's it's not easy to get in and out of. So uh, do take all those precautions. It was fun talking with Curtis Freedy of, uh, as well from Kurtz Polaris of Sealy Lake. Now, let's move over to Lincoln County here and, and talk with uh, Bruce Wang. He is actually one of the, uh, the members of the board for Turner Mountain, and they've got quite a story here. SkiTurner.com for more information. Bruce, good morning. How you doing, sir? Great. Good morning, Tom. Thank you for being here. I uh, appreciate this. Look, at uh, you go to your website, and then they, you start talking about this mountain. In the 1950s, a dedicated group of skiers dreamed of a ski area in Libby. You guys did that by 1960 and continued to improve upon it then. But this is unique. This is one. Is it the only community-run uh, ski area in Montana or in the Northwest? Uh, actually, I believe there are others, Tom, uh, besides Turner Mountain. I don't. Uh, 
Um, I've never heard of them. Uh, I, I know there are community-owned like radio stations and, and various other things in, in these smaller communities. How does it work to for the community to run and own and operate a ski resort? Well, basically, we're a nonprofit organization, you know, that was formed in 1960 to promote the construction of the ski area up at Turner Mountain. And, you know, we're moving into our 62nd season, and we've always operated on a nonprofit basis, uh, basically by volunteers. You know, we've got a core group of volunteers, always have, that, you know, build uh, all the facilities up there, maintain it during the off-season. We do have a couple of employees that we use during the winter to run the lift for us. But that's been a good model for us, you know, uh, in order for us to keep the lift tickets in a more favorable uh, situation uh, versus other areas uh, uh, in in the region. Do you see that that, that spirit that... um built that still alive on Turner Mountain? You talk about um, just a group of folks who who said, look, we've got an area here where if we put the work in, we can just drive right out our back door and and have a nice ski mountain. Do you still feel that spirit? Is is that alive there at Turner Mountain? Oh, absolutely, Tom. Uh, You know, it hasn't changed from day one. You know, the the people come and go, the volunteers come and go. Uh, Most of our volunteers have been doing it for, for quite a few years now. And it's very refreshing when we get, you know, new younger folks to step up. But we don't see this ending anytime soon. This has worked very well for us. And, you know, the folks that get involved, they really start to live and breathe Turner Mountain. Yeah. And and it's a nonprofit. And um, it's going to be able to remain a nonprofit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't see any change coming there. Again, uh, we're in a very small market area. We're a small community. Uh, a big day at Turner Mountain is less than 200 people. Uh, so in order for us to accomplish that, we need to maintain nonprofit status. In other words, every dollar that comes into the mountain is spent on the mountain, either in fuel, repair parts, or uh, you know other expenses that we incur on a daily basis. All right, what's it like to ski Turner Mountain? Uh, no crowds, no lift lines. It pretty much says it all. Yeah. Oh, I mean that's that's a that's a big sell for that matter. Do you get then? Do you get people that that come to Turner Mountain from other areas, or what's the attraction? Yeah, yeah we do. You know, probably twenty five percent of our skiers come from somewhere else. Uh, many come from the Flathead Valley, and we get a lot of Canadians that come down and ski with us. What kind of what kind of ski runs are it, um, it, it are the runs there? Well, we've got uh, twenty two named runs. Uh, probably, I'm going to say about seventy percent is advanced skiing. Uh, you know, fifty five percent would be what we'd call black diamonds, and you know, thirty percent being intermediate level skiing, and then a little bit of beginner train. Uh, we've got basically twenty two hundred vertical feet. Uh, a very good fall line. And also, in addition to the name runs, we have an, an awful lot of glade skiing areas that have been thinned out, you know, from brush and smaller trees. So, you know, we have, you know, close to, I would say, five, 600 skiable acres. How many times have you been up and down it? What's your favorite run on it? My favorite run, I would have to say, would be the Sundance Bowl from the top, wide open, you know, 
kind of steep, but great fall line skiing. The uh, the mountain itself, um, it's only open, uh, how many days a week is it? What are your hours? Uh, we're open uh, Friday through Sunday, uh, but we also make one day a week available for private rentals. In other words, groups local and, and others from out of the area will come in and rent the mountain for, you know, birthday parties or just a group of hardcore skiers that want to have a mountain all of themselves for one day. Do people do that? I mean, I saw that, and I, I'm thinking, wow. I mean, is it affordable? Uh, th- that sounds like quite um, a blast, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, it's a blast, and yeah. we, we've had, uh, we have no problem filling the one day a week. Uh and we only do one day, even though we have, you know, basic three or four other days that are open. We do one day a week because anybody that's renting is looking for a powder shot, basically. And that's one reason. The other reason is, you know, our volunteers have to go to work once in a while. So, uh, you know, getting enough volunteers to cover during the week can sometimes be problematic. How many volunteers does it take to get through a season? Well, I would have to guess about 40 to 50. But, you know, myself and another gentleman sat down several years ago and tried to figure out how many volunteer hours we have in one season. You know, how many volunteer hours does it take to pull this place off for one year? And so we sat down, we started adding it up, we got to 10,000, and we quit. And we <laughs> know we weren't even close to where we uh, to the total hours available. <laughs> I get that. You didn't want to know at that point, right? You'd... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because it could have been twenty, it could have been double that too. Again, Bruce Zawang is with us, a member of the board uh, for Turner Mountain, and in uh, for information, SkiTurner.com. You also have something going on there, uh, some one of these winter events that that people kind of uh, prepare their calendar for, and I think there's a deadline upcoming. Uh, talk about the Montucky Clearcut. Okay, the Montucky Clearcut is a group of. Uh, hard-booted snowboarders, a very, you know, niche area in the ski in ski or snowboarding industry. And it all started five or six years ago. Dave Redmond, who's a very uh, into that, who's also was born and raised in Libby and was on our patrol many years ago. But he puts this together. It's limited to about 100 people. They come from all over the United States. And they have the mountain to themselves from Monday through Thursday of a week, okay? And uh, it's, it's great for us. It's great for them. They have a blast. It's, you know, again, it's a small community, small area. You know, they literally can park within a few hundred feet of the lift. And that, I think we're in year four or five now, and that's become very, very popular. What's Montucky? What is that? <laughs> be honest with you tom i don't know what that means it's a term that that uh, you hear now and then and it's a term that uh, dave the organizer came up with <laughs> well uh, that's good because i think everybody's confused at that um and especially montana and kentucky i just don't know how that comes together yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand that connection either to be honest with you <laughs> um uh, what else uh, you got going on up there do you guys do education i know you're part of the kootenai winter sports ski education foundation how do you get folks uh educated on on skiing and get them um, excited about skiing Turner Mountain? Well, we do have a, you know, a full-service ski school for skiing and snowboarding. And on top of that, we do uh, avalanche training on an annual basis up there with uh, one of our, through through our local search and rescue association. 
those are, you know, our primary uh, educational opportunities at that point. And we also host, you know, youth groups up there. Uh, we bring a lot of, and we make a, a killer deal for folks or for kids that want to come up, uh, particularly school groups you know, locally and then regionally also. About 20 miles north of Libby, how's the road to get there? It's, uh, you know, it's it's a good secondary road yeah. paved uh, for the first 20 miles, basically, and then you turn off onto our access road, which is uh, a two-mile good good uh, gravel road. You go back again uh, in where it started in the late 1950s and the actual, um, I think, well, according to your website here, 1960, you had um, a rope tow and a 20 by 40 warming shelter and, and snack bar during that first season. What's it look like now? Well, you know, right now we've got, uh, let me just give you the full story. You know, the term was built in 1960 with a mile-long T-bar on wooden towers. And then the 20 by 40 warming shelter with, a, you know, a wood barrel stove in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that serviced us until the late 90s when, uh, you know, we could see the end, end of the life of the T-bar coming. And, again, it was on wooden towers. So a group of us got together and started planning for the transition. We're, we were able to acquire components of two used chairlifts, double chairlifts, that were coming out of the Snoqualmie uh, area in Washington. So we acquired that, and then we set about, you know, raising the funding to get uh, the lift redesigned and then installed, which we were able to accomplish in the summer of 2001. And then in 2005, we were able to construct a new day lodge, you know, so we were able to tear down the old 20 by 40 shack, basically. And I will say at that point we had running water, which we hadn't had prior to that. And uh, so right now, if you if you come to Turner, you know, you're going to be met with a, a double chairlift a mile long to the summit. And then, you know, a newer, newer day lodge, you know, which is a 40 by uh, 50 structure, two levels. And, uh, you know, we've got running water. We generate, you know, that's one thing to mention about Turner. You know, we're about 15 miles from the nearest uh, uh, utility. Yeah. So we've always generated our own power. Oh, really? I did not know that. Doing How, how are you doing that? Well, we have uh, two generators, uh, one large generator that powers the lift. And then we have a smaller, I believe it's a 30K generator that provides uh, electricity, the base area, the lodge, the kitchen, and then our, our shop area. That's incredible. Um, and, and to keep all that stuff running with this nonprofit, again, Bruce Zwang, Zwang is with us, and uh, it's, it's SkiTurner.com for more information. Um, when you get to the top of, of Turner Mountain and you're in the yak and, and you look around and – by golly, there's not been that many human folk in that area over all that time. What uh, what goes through a person's mind there? Oh, it's it's just stunning with the beauty you see from the summit, uh, particularly in the winter. You know, if we've got a bluebird day, you can see into Canada from there. You can also see south, just past Libby to the Cabin of Mountains Wilderness area, and you know the the views are just breathtaking. Uh, how do you keep ticket prices um, kind of reasonable at that nonprofit status? Uh, I know things have have really gone up. Are you struggling with um, inflation? 
Yeah, inflation has been something. You yeah. know, uh, our fuel costs, you know, of course, have, have, have risen dramatically in the last three years. But, you know, this year we were able to hold our lift, our ticket prices the same. You know, we wanted to buck that trend on the inflation and do what we needed to do to keep ticket prices consistent to what they were last year. You guys have got a family season pass for four people that you offer, seniors, adults. Kids um, under six can ski free on Turner Mountain. That's correct. That's good. I'm um, I'm a little over, over that, but I ski like a kid who's not quite <laughs> five. But uh, uh, nonetheless, hey Bruce, thank you so much. I appreciate that, and I think uh, you know the people there would want to say good job to all, and and thanks for keeping that that winter wreck available to you know that small town feel. May it never go away, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. So, uh, again, SkiTurner.com for more information. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. And join us daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for more Voices of Montana, a live issue-oriented talk show heard daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on local stations all across Montana.